Well, US retail sales numbers were out this morning. They were much lower than anticipated, but on the back of very strong numbers in the last couple of months. It's a worse picture, though, for the UK and Japan because both have officially dipped into recession. So what does that mean for the Bank of Japan? They can't really lift interest rates if the economy is shrinking, can they? And could it mean the Bank of England will lower rates sooner? Well, early word from them is no. Plus, Australia's employment numbers yesterday. Weaker than expected, but again, not enough to change the RBA's thinking. Not yet, anyway. It's Friday, the 16th of February, 2024. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar was holding up fairly well until about halfway through the session. Then it fell. It's down 0.4% now. Against that, the Aussie dollar is up half a percent, 65.2 US cents now. The euro is up 0.4%. The pound is up a quarter percent. Less bond movement today. Ten-year treasuries down just two basis points. They were down six earlier. German bond yields up two basis points. Aussie ten years lost 13 basis points yesterday to 4.13%. Now on futures, they're five basis points back up on that. And she Shares are higher at close in the US at a 0.3% rise for the Nasdaq. The S&P is up 0.6%, back up over 5,000. The Dow 0.9% up. Uh, All of that uh, added to in the last hour before close. And the Russell 2000 up 2.5% today. Again, even with that big fall middle of the week, it has climbed almost 3.5% in the last week. And in Europe, the Eurostox 50 closed up 0.7%, 0.9% for the CAC 40, uh, 0.4% rise for the FTSE 1. Oil is up a chunk too. WTI is up 2%, 1.5% for Brent, or 1.6% now actually, just below 83 a barrel, uh, drifting a little lower later in the session. So what else can I tell you? Well, I can tell you there has been a big fall in US retail sales. The UK and Japanese economies are both officially in recession. Sally Auld from JB Weir is with me this morning to talk about that. Which one should we do first? Well, actually, let's do Australian employment numbers first. Let's get that out of the way from yesterday. Uh, it wasn't the rise we were expecting. Have I got this right? Just 500 new jobs. But Ray was saying yesterday... Look at the unemployment rate. Ignore the numbers. Just look at the unemployment rate. And that's actually up to 4.1% from 3.9%. So quite a rise. Is that enough for the RBA to consider cuts any sooner? Yeah, good morning, Phil. So yes, yesterday's numbers, much weaker than the consensus had expected. And I guess a bit of focus on that unemployment rate number because poked above 4% for the first time in two years, which you know historically is still a super low number. But um, you know we are starting to see that gradual drift higher in the unemployment rate. I think we need to take them with a grain of salt and, you know, I'm a little bit wary about saying that because we did say that about December's numbers as well and there's only so many months you can do that before you start sounding a little bit silly. But there is an interesting effect in the numbers that became quite pronounced um, in the years just, just after COVID and sort of a bit of a January effect where we've got higher than would be usual people who are what we would call uh, marginally attached to the labour market or unemployed. And so these people are basically either on holidays for all of January and returning in February, or they finished a job in December, took January off, and they're actually starting um, a new job in February. So they're either classified as unemployed or outside the labor force. And what that does to the numbers is it inflates the number of unemployed people, and it reduces the participation rate. And those two things sort of together conspire to get you a a higher unemployment rate. So I think people were expecting that that effect that was really quite prominent in those years just after COVID because people had accumulated a lot of leave and so they were taking all of January off um, for the summer or alternatively, um, you know, that there was a fair bit of job churn going on. So there were a lot of people finishing one job, taking the month off, starting again. 
I think we're a bit surprised that that has sustained into 2024, um, but it's clearly there in the numbers and the Bureau of Statistics talk about it. And so I guess, you know, when we look at what has happened in February's of the last couple of years, a lot of these measures reverse and unwind. So the expectation going into February should be that the unemployment rate comes back a bit, we get a decent gain in employment. Um, but if we don't get that, then then I think it's probably fair to say that you know, the, the labour market is, is probably a bit softer than people had anticipated at the start of the year. <laughs> Sounds like the Australia of old, doesn't it? When nothing gets done in January, uh, everyone returns to work in February. I mean, those those days are back. It's back, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what does that mean for the RBA then? Do they just ignore these numbers? Pos- yeah, possibly. Um, you know, their forecast for the unemployment rate, so the, the latest set of forecasts that came out, you know, only, only a week or so ago, had the unemployment rate um, at 4.2 by the middle of the year on their forecast. So if we don't unwind some of that jump from December to January, then I think I guess the, the view would be that actually the labour market's weakening a little bit more quickly than they anticipated and the market might sense that that therefore opens the door to rate cuts a little bit sooner. US retail sales uh, this morning taking a much bigger hit than anticipated down 0.8% in January. That is after a 0.4% gain in December. But the December number, that was a slight revision down as well. So that takes some of the edge off the the January rise. But, you know, it's still a surprise. Yeah, that's right. So there was a lot of sort of, I guess, narrative out before these numbers that we should be expecting a soft number because we knew that uh, car sales were down and we also knew that petrol prices were down and those two things were were going to sort of weigh reasonably heavily on the headline numbers. But I guess the point is these came in even weaker than than people expected. And that important control group, which is the bit that feeds right into the GDP statistics on household consumption, that was down four-tenths of a percent and there were downward revisions um, to December. So, you know, that's a, a bit of a sobering number and tells us probably that even though it's early days, real consumption was down a little bit for, for January. And I think, you know, what we're expecting is, and it makes sense, I guess, given how strong consumption's been through 2023, that it's probably going to step down a little bit in 2024. And, and you know, maybe those numbers overnight are the, are the beginning of um, that data starting to emerge. Yeah. Eating out is still up, though. You know, you're not struggling if you're still like, managing to eat out. I mean, clothes are down. Uh, maybe everyone mm-hmm. got what well, they, you know, everyone got a jumper for Christmas. Furniture mm. uh, was up because no one buys you a wardrobe for Christmas, and mm. uh, and eating out up. So you know that doesn't sound like people struggling. No, it doesn't, and I, I, I don't think you know people are struggling. But I think we're at a point where you know maybe some of the forward indicators are telling us that labour market should start to loosen up a little bit. And then there's also that residual story around all those excess savings that were built up that have really probably supported consumption to run at higher rates than would have been ordinarily possible, that effect is starting to wane too. Um, and so really what we're looking at, is not a disaster for the consumer, but just a step down in the rate of growth um, of household consumption this year. And mixed numbers, the rest of the data, we got a, a little bit of sort mm. of secondary data. So the initial jobless claims fell 8,000 last week. So that's good if we ignore the four-week moving average, which is actually pushing higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, the NAHB housing index is up again the third month in a row. So you'd assume that's good. The Philly Fed manufacturing index doing a lot better than expected from minus 10.6 to plus 5.2. Uh, minus 8 was expected. So that's a big upside surprise, although there's quite a fall in the employment component component of that and quite a rise in prices paid. So uh, something for everyone in those numbers. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, let's, let's start with jobless claims, you know, that they were down, as you noted. Seasonals were pretty tough this week. So that tells you that the underlying data um, must have been pretty strong. But 
you do wonder how long we can sustain this good news on on jobless claims because when you look at every other um, measure of I guess what's going on in the labour market, like layoffs, um, you know, the, the war notices, which are all about mass layoffs, plant closures, even looking at the count of you know people who are um, you know searching job cuts on on Google, they're all suggesting that claims should lift in coming months. So you know perhaps that signal on the four four week moving average is is actually the right one to pay attention to, um, and then everything else, you know, big rebound in in those regional manufacturing surveys. So that tallies with the increase um, in the ISM of late and probably gives us some hope that that rebound in manufacturing might sustain. And then, as you said, also um, the NAHB measure, obviously getting a boost there from you know, the fact that mortgage rates have fallen a fair bit after that big rally in bond markets into the end of the year. So, look, I think on net, you know, a pretty good, pretty good set of data, ex-retail ex sales, um, which really continues this thematic of reasonably mixed messages um, on the US economy, which you can sometimes see at turning points. So... Mm. You know, we'll keep watching, I guess. Now, quite often the UK surprises on the upside, doesn't it? You know, everyone's quite mm. gloomy and then all of a sudden some stats come out that show that things aren't quite that bad. Not this time, though. So the uh, GDP for Q4 fell 0.3%. That's on top of the 0.1% contraction in Q3. So they really are mm -hmm. in a recession. But you know mm -hmm. what? You know, that's two in a row. But if you look at GDP per capita, they've actually had seven straight quarters of contraction. So stagnant is the word for the UK economy, isn't it? And I wonder whether it's going to stay that way for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think that's 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 a fair description. Yeah, that's right. So look, the optimists would say, oh, well, it's a technical recession, but the magnitudes are pretty small and numbers can be revised. But, um, you know, I think stagnation is probably the right description of all of this and really driven by sort of a weak household sector, weakness in government spending, net exports were a drag. And the only beacon of light really was business spending up one and a half percent um, and the numbers were a touch worse than the Bank of England had penciled in. So they had a, a decline of, I think, one-tenth of a percent for the quarter. Um, so I'm not sure it's going to mean a whole lot for them because they are really focused on inflation yeah. resilience and you know, how well, quickly that moves. So, so Megan Green uh, from the Bank of England uh, was talking to the chief economist at Fitch Ratings, having a fireside chat. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Uh, and she said, yeah, more signs of price pressures easing before anything yeah. can happen. So they're going to remain restrictive for some time. Yes, I think that's that's a fair assessment. So then we've got Japan also in recession without the interest mm -hmm. rate hikes. So it can be done. 0.1% mm. uh, contraction in Q4 following a 0.8% contraction in Q, uh, Q3. So, I mean, can they really... Talk about raising rates in that environment, even if it's just getting them, you know, over that minus 0.1% and into positive territory. Uh, you know, can you really expect inflation, in fact, to grow when you've got such a hefty contraction going on? Yeah, that's right. So it just sort of prolongs this debate we have about, you know, the, the possible chance that Japanese monetary policy starts to, to sort of get on a more normal track. Look, I think the key in a lot of this is not necessarily the growth numbers, but that spring wage decision, which is coming in mid-March. Um, and we know the Bank of Japan have been very focused on getting wages growth up. And, you know, that's almost like a necessary condition for them to feel comfortable that they've got this outlook that inflation can be 2%, give or take, on a sustainable basis. And so that's probably, I think, more than the, the GDP numbers going to be um, the critical input into you know, near-term Bank of Japan decisions. But yes, disappointing um, numbers from Japan. And it's sort of, 
you know, like a bit of a catch-22 in the sense that, you know, can they raise rates if the economy's in recession? But then if you go around telling everyone um, rates will only go up if growth improves, it doesn't really give people much of an incentive to go out and spend. So it feels like they're in a bit of a, a trap at the moment. But I, I think it's those nominal indica- indicators like wages and prices that are going to be um, the significant ones for the Bank of Japan. Yeah, it's America versus the rest of the world, isn't it, really? And yesterday, the European Commission released their winter forecast, quite a revision down for their GDP for this year. They've taken it from 1.2% to 0.8%. So that is quite a revision down, uh, a smaller revision down for next year. Been quite a bit of market reaction to, to, to those numbers. Basically, just more gloom from Europe. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, again, it just sort of points to this, um, you know, ongoing disappointment with the European economic outlook where it just seems to have sort of disappointed relative to everyone else, given that some of the fundamentals have been okay, like the labour market's still very solid, inflation's coming down, so real incomes are lifting. But the real puzzle in Europe has just been, I guess, very anemic household consumption which, you know, given some of those factors, you would have expected to have been actually a little bit better. So today, uh, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Read, including their inflation expectations, and more importantly, PPI, producer prices, which uh, will give us a bit of a clue uh, towards the next PC deflator, which, of course, is what the Fed cares about, not the CPI numbers. So that they're fairly important numbers today. Plus, mm-hmm. UK retail sales, which you'd think wouldn't be very good, given that they're in a recession and all. But the expectation is after the 3.3% fall in December, they'll actually pick up up in January uh, not, maybe everyone got a gift voucher for Christmas maybe that's uh, that's what's going to be driving it but anyway we'll see so it's a busy day today indeed yep we'll see if the UK can start 2024 with a little bit more optimism than it finished 2023 do you know I love your optimism that they might have some optimism uh, and hey look before we go we should also mention New Zealand as well with they get their manufacturing PMI today and Governor Orr is going to be talking as well but he sounds like he's doing more of a technical talk on what their remit is rather than what they're going to do about it but we'll see uh, that is very very soon for now though good to talk we'll catch you next time thanks Phil and very quickly before we go the weekend edition out later today tech analyst Deborah Ho-Williamson joins me from Seattle to talk about the big race in big tech land. Uh, advertising has been the primary business model for most of the digital publishers um, for many years, right? Uh, you know, you look at, at Meta. I mean, Meta, as, as you as you pointed out, had, had an amazing year last year. And of course, that is pretty much all advertising revenue. But is advertising the way of the future? Or is it subscriptions? Or is it services? And how does AI play into all of this? Which business model wins? We'll try and get to grip with that one on the weekend edition this afternoon join me for that i'm phil dobby for nab see you soon